come on, if you're glad heaven came to find you, just take a moment to just thank God deep in your heart. It wasn't your effort, it wasn't your energy, it wasn't your goodness, it wasn't you getting your sins together that got you to God. Come on, it was God and His goodness and His grace and His mercy. It wasn't your blood spilt, it was His blood spilt. It wasn't your sweat shed. Come on, it was His sweat shed that got you into the presence of your Creator and your Keeper. Come on, and if you're glad about that fact, just praise Him for a couple of seconds on this glorious, sunny, but frosty Sunday morning. Amen. You can grab your seats. Tell the person right next to you and say, hey, you're looking good today. You're looking good. I want you to then turn to your other neighbor and say, hey, second choice, you're looking good as well. I'm so glad that you made it out to our 11:15 gathering. It's the best gathering of the week on all of our 14 campuses. I say that to the 9:15 as well, but, but I'm telling you, God has got something special in store for each of y'all. My name is Dan Leanne. I'm one of the teaching team here at New Spring Church. I was born and raised in Melbourne, Australia. That's the reason my voice is this way. My mother and father are Malaysian Chinese. That's the reason my face is this way. Um, but I live here in Anderson, and, and I consider it such a privilege to have new people with us every single week. Seriously, I meet new people at New Spring every single week, and we want you to know we honor you. We thank you for taking the time out to worship God with us. So all over our New Spring family, come on, on all our 14 campuses, how about we put our hands together for those who are visiting us for the first time this week? Um, if you're trying to find out how to get more connected to our church, we're a big church, but we want you to feel like you are seen, you are known, you are loved, you are valued. We have a connect class. It's going to help you connect. That's the reason we call it a connect class. And at the end of this gathering, a pastor is going to come out and give you your next step into the connect class. Uh, let me just jump into our message. Um, I have a reservation at Cracker Barrel, and, um, and I want to hit that reservation and have me some Sunday chicken, you know what I'm saying? And, um, and, and, and we are in a series at the moment, and it's called Desperate. Everyone say desperate. Come on, say it with some attitude. Desperate. And in the world, desperate or desperation has a negative connotation. No one wants to be seen as desperate. No one, no girl, oh my goodness, he's so desperate. No, you don't want to be described as desperate. In a, in a sporting game, you don't want to get into a desperate situation. As a business, you don't want to look at your financials and say, hey, things are getting desperate. In the world we live in, desperation has a negative connotation, but in the kingdom of God, desperation is a doorway. It is your pathway to experiencing more of God. In actual fact, in the kingdom of God, desperation is an opportunity. That's the reason a couple of weeks ago, the Reverend Dr. Bishop Meredith Knox talked about craving and des desiring God, having a desperation for God, and what an impact that makes in your journey. Last week, our lead pastor, Brad Cooper, talked about how desperation can actually lead you to a supernatural miracle. We looked at Jairus, the synagogue ruler, who saw his daughter raised from dead to life. We saw a woman with the issue of blood for more than a decade find healing and freedom, all because they took their desperation to the feet of Jesus. And that's the reason it's been amazing 
for the last two weeks in our 21 days of prayer and fasting to see so many people on every single campus braving the snow, braving the cold, braving the black ice to get into the house of God and pray at the start of the year. Because you've got to understand, when we're desperate for God to move, we create space for Him to do exactly that. So I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to dare you. I'm going to double dog dare you. This week, in our last week of 21 days of prayer and fasting, every single morning, 6 a.m., set your alarm and come along and just get before Jesus in his presence and ask him to do what only he can do. Desperation is a doorway. Desperation creates opportunity. And this week, just for a couple of minutes, I want to talk about how your desperation to see your family and friends come into a saving relationship with Jesus makes a difference. The way you desire from deep within to see those you love most to come into a friendship with God will make a difference in their journey. Just close your eyes for a moment. And if you're a friend of Jesus, if you know God, I want to ask you this question. Do you know anyone in your life who needs Jesus desperately? You've seen them try to do life by themselves in their own strength, under their own power, and you've seen them hit brick wall after brick wall after brick wall, and you know only Jesus can help. Come on, keep your eyes closed. Do you have a a family member or a a neighbor, a friend, a, a, a teammate, someone that you work with who is far away from God, and you know that it would change everything about their journey if they met Jesus? Now open your eyes. And I want you to look in my tiny but strong ones. Your desperation to see them meet Jesus will make a difference in their journey. One of the greatest movies of all time, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is the movie Titanic. It's an old movie. It was made in the late 1900s. All you Gen Z millennials don't know Titanic, but all of us older people, come on, we know Titanic. It's amazing, it's factually accurate, it is, it is, uh, it's basically a documentary, all right, about, about Jack and Rose and, and them just hanging out on the Titanic, so many iconic scenes, you know, Jack is declaring, I'm the king of the world, and he got Roy, I'm flying, Jack. There's that, there's that scene in the movie, you know, near the end where the Titanic is sunk, sorry to ruin the movie, but, but remember that part where, like, they're, they're bobbing around in the ocean, and there's like a giant door there, like a perfect flotation device, and Jack and Rose go up to that door, and Jack, being the man he is, helps Rose onto that door, and then Jack, trying to save his own life, gets onto the door, and the, the door bubbles a little bit, and they both decide, which is code for Rose decides, you know what, no, you freeze in the ocean, and I'm going to take up all the space. I used to think to myself, why don't you just try one more time? You know what I'm saying? Your dinner plans are ruined. This is life and death. Try one more time. But no, Royce be out there safely bobbing on that door and Jack slowly freezes and eventually Royce would have to pull his dead fingers off her hand. Blah, 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 blah. There's a scene in the movie as well. It's a relatively dramatic scene and it always gets to me. It's at the end of the movie, and again, the Titanic is sunk, and, and it's a scene that's set in a lifeboat. And right away, it pans around, and it's obvious that there are spare seats in that lifeboat. There are empty seats. 
And surrounding that lifeboat, there is a darkness. And out of that darkness are cries for help. People flaying around the freeing, uh, freezing Atlantic Ocean going, can you come and save me? And there's a brave American woman in that boat. And she speaks up because she sees that empty seat and she responds in desperation. We can do something. That's our family. That's our friends out there. Grab an oar and we can go and save some people. But she hits a wall in that boat. As the other people in the boat respond with fear, with, with apathy with nonchalance. And eventually that desperation would disappear and she would sit back down quiet as those cries for help dim in the darkness. The reason that gets to me is because every single week, whether it's here at New Spring Church, one of our 14 campuses, or anywhere I travel around the world, there are empty seats in every auditorium. And I ask this question, how do we respond when we see an empty seat. Seriously, all the way up north in Lake Wiley, all the way down south in our Hilton Head campus, in and around the upstate, down in the Midlands in the Lloyd country. We have empty seats in all of our auditoriums. I want to ask you this question. What gets stirred in your heart? What do you see when you see an empty seat? Do you not even see that empty seat? Are you so focused in on coming in and just getting what you need from God that week? There's nothing wrong with that, but it's really easy to get into that mode. I'm going to come along to church. I'm going to do some Jesus karaoke. I'm going to sit through a priestly pep talk. I'm going to grab a free coffee and fist bump someone on the way out. Do you not even see that empty seat because you're so locked in on just going through the holy motions on a Sunday morning? What do you see? Do you like the fact that there's an empty seat next to you? There are some people who are saying, you know what, 2020 was the best thing ever because social distance has been something I've been practicing for a long time. I like a little bit of space between me and everyone else. I don't want to be in anyone else's air and I don't want them in my air. I don't, I, I don't really care that much that there's an empty seat because I kind of like the fact that there's an empty seat. Or maybe do you get stirred in your heart? Do you think to yourself, you know what, I would love to see my family and my friends fill that seat. I know that God alone can make a difference in my friends' lives, but the reality is I'm afraid to invite them along. Just, 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 think, just think they think that I'm a religious freak, or, or if they come along, they ask me a question that I can't answer. It, it builds a lot of pressure, the thought of inviting somebody along or, or inviting them into a, a friendship with Jesus like I have. So fear grips your heart and it freezes your body. What do you see? What is stirred in your heart? Maybe for some people, it's, it's, you know what, I would love to see someone from my family who's far away from God fill that seat. I would love to see people within our community who need God find God in that seat. But the reality is it's not my job. It's not my responsibility. There are other people out there who are paid to do this. That's why there are preachers, and that's why there are pastors, and that's why there are naturally outgoing kind of people in church. I'm a little bit quieter. It's not my responsibility. What do you see when you see an empty seat? What kind of desperation or lack of desperation is stirred in your heart? Because simply put, my heart's hope and my heart's prayer is that as we look at this story in the Bible, you would see the kind of powerful difference a desperate friend can make in the journey of somebody who means the world to them. I love it. If you have your Bibles, would you go with me to the book of Mark chapter 2? Everyone say Mark like an Australian. Mark. Say Mark like an American. Mark. Say Mark in Chinese. Mark. 
awesome. I taught you languages. It's a little racist as well. I'm sorry. Mark chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. And this story has been getting to me. Because talking about desperation over the last couple of weeks has caused me to ask this question. How many spaces can this principle be applied I love the thought of a personal miracle. I love the thought of experiencing more of God. I love the thought of seeing something supernatural happen before my very eyes. But in the family that I have who don't know Jesus, in the friends that I journey with who aren't walking with God, could desperation make a difference? Mark chapter 2 says an emphatic yes. Mark chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people had heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Mark chapter 2 follows Mark chapter 1. That's not very deep or theological. It's a simple mathematics. But in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is introduced. He's baptized. He has the Holy Spirit descend upon him, and he starts to minister. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1, he starts declaring the good news, starts preaching the gospel. He starts healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's making a difference. So word spreads around about Jesus. There's a radical rabbi from the Capernaum area, and he is helping people in their infirmity, in their sickness, in their disease. He's setting people free. So everybody wanted a touch of Jesus. So he rolls into Capernaum, and the Bible says here in verse 3, Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. Everyone say, carry. There's a miracle that's going to unfold. There's a man who needs Jesus, but he didn't have the power or the capacity or the ability to get to Jesus himself. He needed the desperation of some friends. And so the friends bring this man along, and since they could not get to him because of the crowd, They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. When he saw their faith, say their faith, there's a man lying before him. He's the one who needs Jesus. He's the one who needs a healing. He's the one who needs a miracle. He's the one who needs a breakthrough But it says that he saw their faith, the desperation of those four good old southern boys standing on the roof after they dug a hole and dropped their buddy through. And this guy walks away forever changed. Desperation will make a difference. If you're writing down notes, you can pull out your leather-bound journals and pens right now. I'm not saying you need to take notes to get into heaven. I'm just saying, why take a chance? You know what I'm saying? So pull out your leather-bound journals and your pens, iPhones, iPads, Android devices, cool Samsung flip phone things. Take some notes down, three simple points. No, these are truths from this scripture that have caused desperation to rise up in my heart even in the last week as I've been preparing this. And I hope and pray it will do the same for you. What do we see from this story? that stirs desperation. Well, this story shows very clearly that your relationships are your responsibility. Your relationships are your responsibility. I love how this whole miracle begins with a bunch of friends looking at a friend who didn't have the capacity to get to Jesus and they just took it upon themselves as their responsibility to get their friend to Jesus. 
I love this because this takes so much pressure off. I don't know about you, but when I started following Jesus as a freshman in college, I heard messages all the time about you got to change the world and you got to save your generation and you got to leave an impact on eternity. And, and used to feel so overwhelmed going, I'm only little me. You know what I'm saying? Like five foot seven and a half of 210 pound rip rock hard Chinese muscle. Yeah, I'm just little me. Like what difference can I make? And Jesus takes the pressure down. He says, just take responsibility for the room that I put you in. Come on. Every classroom you're in, every sporting team you play on, every cubicle office you work in, every single QT that you do shift work in, every single neighborhood that you live in, every softball team that you play with, every space you find yourself in, simply put this at the forefront of your thoughts. This is my responsibility. That's the reason we're so passionate about being a church where everyone, everywhere has an everyday relationship with Jesus because we would change the world if tens of thousands of our New Spring family every day just took responsibility for their space. Take a deep breath. Just relax a little bit. Your responsibility isn't to like save people and to kind of like change the entire world. Your responsibility is to just the people that that God brings into your journey for his purposes. I've got a bunch of kids in my small group, five freshmen in my small group. They're all at the Clemson campus right now. Four of them have cars. One of them doesn't have a car. We were eating at Chipotle the other week, and at the end of our meal, the four of the boys with the cars just looked at each other, and they pulled out a roster to work out whose turn it was to drive their friend home. I thought that was really sweet. A bunch of like 19-year-old boys who were, first of all, like kind of organized enough to drop a roster. And, 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 but, and I asked them, wow, that's so cool. And the way that they responded, they said, no, 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 this is what, he's our friend. And that's all you need to have in the forefront of your mind. I'm in your world and you're in mine. And my simple job is to take responsibility for the transport. I don't do the saving. I just supply the driving. And my job is to simply try to get you to my friend Jesus. You might not have all the words in the world. Come on, you might not have a great testimony. You might not have the power, the capacity to jump into a deep and theological or philosophical discussion about apologetics. No, no, no. Just take responsibility. Come on. For the people that God puts in your world. Point number two, write this one down. And here's the game plan. The game plan is just get them to Jesus. Just get them to Jesus. How do we know this? Because in the story here, we see four good old southern boys. And I know they were southern boys. Because if they were like city folk, they would have got their friend, got along to the meeting, found that the meeting was full, and they would have decided, you know what? We should just go home and maybe come back the night after a little bit earlier and stand in line and get an opportunity to meet Jesus, not for our southern boys. And I picture them to be like Billy Bob and Cletus. And I picture a John Mark in here somewhere and a Travis. There are a lot of Travises in the South. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and I know there were Southern boys because when they got to the house and it was full, their first reaction was to go check if there were security cameras around the back. Hey, Billy Bob, I didn't see any, I didn't see any like, kind of security cameras around the back. We could, and they decided to drag their friend onto the roof. That is the most Southern thing you're going to hear today. If you close the door, when God closes a door, 
you dig a hole through the roof, all right? And then, so they climb to the top and they start digging through the roof. No game plan. At some point, one of the boys would have gone to the other one, hey, we should have made a better, there's no other game plan except for just to get him to Jesus. Again, it's not your wise or persuasive words. It's not your miraculous, powerful, breakthrough, salvation, testimony, and story that's going to see your friends come to him. It's you simply taking responsibility for your part in their journey and just getting them to Jesus. Now, for some people, that means coming along to church. I know that in the South, like throwing an invitation to bring someone to church is not the weirdest thing in the world. And I hope and pray that if you've invited your friends a bunch of times and they've said no, you, you would just, you know, wouldn't get discouraged. You would find, hey, you know what? For some people, getting them to Jesus means bringing them along to church on a Sunday morning. For other people, it means me sh- sharing my story as ordinary as it is during a lunch break. Now, for other people, it might mean, like I know for a buddy of mine, uh, he is a businessman here in Anderson and he was trying to reach out to uh, one of his bank managers uh, but his bank manager declared that he didn't like religion, didn't trust pastors, didn't like preachers. So what my buddy decided to do was to basically set up a golf game between me and this guy, not telling either of us what we did or how we felt about preachers and pastors. And so we come along and we load up our clubs and my buddy who invited us all, he's sitting in the cart behind us. And uh, right away, like, he's asking me, hey, what do I do? He said, well, I'm a pastor in town. He goes, I don't trust preachers. And I go, oh, okay, that's a little bit awkward. And, and then so I turn around, and I see my buddy. He's doing this. <laughs> and over the next 18 holes, I had an opportunity just to ask him why, why he felt that way, what his experiences were. And maybe how God could be bigger than even the most negative experiences they had growing up. And to maybe not write off the most amazing thing you'll ever experience just because you had one bad taste in your mouth. And by the end of that round of golf, come on, everything flipped and changed. And that man is a part of our New Spring family today. Just get them to Jesus. You don't have the words. Just get them to Jesus. You don't have the training. Just get them to Jesus. I don't feel like I have the time to kind of, no, 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 just get them to Jesus. Because it's amazing how when someone catches a glimpse of Jesus most high, that is the most glorious substitute for a billion brilliant words. Just get them to Jesus. Thirdly and lastly, we see here in this story a beautiful salvation miracle of someone who had a bunch of friends who just took responsibility for their transport and just got their friend to Jesus, into his presence. And lastly, I want you to get this deep in your heart that your desperation is the difference. I love how at the end here in verse five, the Bible says that when Jesus saw their faith, I'm gonna speak this out in the name of Jesus, that someone in this room right now is going to have such faith for a friend, Jesus is gonna see it and it's gonna make a difference. There's a wife in this room right now who's nearly giving up on praying for her husband, but you're going to push through in faith, and you're going to trust God, and you're going to see a supernatural breakthrough. 
I'm telling you, there's a prodigal son and a prodigal daughter that a couple of parents are aching over, and he's telling you, keep on aching, keep on pressing, fall on your knees and find yourself closer to God than ever and believe for the soul of your child. Come on, I'm speaking that in faith, that as Jesus saw the faith of these friends, he is going to see the faith of tens of thousands of our New Spring family, and it will make an eternal difference in their loved one's journey. He looks at this man on the ground. Like his buddies were like, like he's already paralyzed, so what's the worst thing that could happen to him? Drop him down. Man, you would need a help. Seize their faith and speaks forgiveness over his sin. And in time, healing to his legs. God wants to heal us, not only physically. He wants to heal us, come on, spiritually. Come on, he doesn't want anyone to do something cool in your everyday. Come on, he wants to do something in your, in the deep recesses of your soul. And, and you see, desperation that made a difference. I remember a couple of years ago being on vacation in, in Malaysia. That's where my um, my mother and father's families are from, and we're at this little resort. I remember hanging out by the pool, sipping on a coconut, and, um, and seeing like a couple little kids playing in the shallow end of the pool. The reason I was watching them was because this was a dangerous pool. The, the shallow end drops into a very deep pool. And I didn't know if their mother knew that the pool was like that, and so I was just watching a little closely, and sure enough, one of the kids slips and goes into the deep end. It was a matter of five seconds, but he didn't surface again. And so in total desperation, I just run into that pool. Only problem is, I'm not a very good swimmer myself. But my desperation just drove me. And I, I, jumped, into the, I jumped into the pool, I grabbed this kid. Again, I can't really swim, so you know how some of you people are like, those like life savory kind of types where you can just grab it. <laughs> this is my game plan. I'm picking him up and holding up as high as I could and I walked out of the pool. I hope that if you've heard in the last 27 minutes a pastor trying to convince you to recruit people to come to their church so that we could grow numbers and brag on ourselves, I hope and pray that that lie would be broken down in the name of Jesus. This is not about recruitment. This is about rescue. This is about our family and our friends that God in his kindness and his goodness has put us in contact with so that we can take care of the transport, get them to Jesus. And I'm telling you, your desperation will make a difference. And you know how I know that? Because I'm a testimony of that. See, I've shared before, my testimony is I started following Jesus when I was a freshman in college. I met Jesus when I was hanging out at a youth camp late on a Saturday night by a lake. I didn't go to the youth camp to go find Jesus. I went to this youth camp to go chase a pretty blonde girl who would become my wife four years later. You know what I'm saying? Flirt to convert. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I'm like, that's why I went to church. And I've told people before, that's how I came to Jesus. That's kind of the story, but not all of it. 
You see, Dan Leanne's story started way before that. It started with a mother and father just crying out to whoever was out there to protect my life. Come on. It started with a youth pastor named Glenn Williams who for some reason kept coming around to my house and asking me to go out and talk about life. I put that guy through the ringer to hang out with me. I used to make him listen to filthy gangster rap on the way out to the chicken shop as the price to hang out with me. And he endured it for years. See, my story didn't start by a lake. My story started with Krista's father, who would become my father-in-law, begging Jesus that this crazy Asian guy who keeps hanging around the house and trying to hang out with his daughter would get his heart won by King Jesus. You've got to understand this. Standing before you isn't somebody who made a decision all by himself. There was desperation of others coming involved. And I know there are many people, come on, here in this room who can tell the same story. Am I right? If you had the same kind of story, just put your hands together and praise Jesus. There are other people, come on, in your journey trying to help you get to him. And that's all I want you to walk away with. You can't save. We can supply the transport. Our game plans kind of look silly. But if our game plan has getting them to Jesus in it, it'll work out. And I promise you, mother, father, son, daughter, husband, wife, your desperation will make a difference. So New Spring family, Let's be the most desperate people out there this week. And on every single campus, I would love to finish by just asking a couple of questions. Number one, what has God said to you in the last 30 minutes? Has God stirred something in your heart specifically about an individual? Someone you used to walk with and hang out with and kind of do life with, but you've kind of grown apart in the last couple of years and you know that God wants to use you in their journey back to Him, what has God said to you in the last couple of minutes? And then the next question is, what are you going to do about it? I don't want to just be a hearer of God's Word. I want to be a doer of God's Word. Who do you need to text? Who do you need to reach out to? Who do you need to go and take to a chicken shop even if they want to listen to filthy rap music on the way? Like, what do you need to do about it? Not everyone you invite is going to come along to church, but everyone you invite to go out for a free donut, they're going to be showing up. You know what I'm saying? What are you going to do about it? And as we finish off our time together, I want us to knit faith together. I believe that in 2022, some people that we love, who are also loved by God, but right now far away, are going to find themselves closer to God because of our desperation. So on all of our campuses, can you just stand to your feet? Come and stand to your feet, have a little stretch. And before we pray for your friends, before we pray for your family, I wanna pray for you. Can you just get your right hand and put it on your heart? And would you, if you have faith and you have the desire to see God stir a desperation in you again, I just feel in my spirit, there's some people who over the last 31 minutes, you've been going, you know what, Dan? I've heard messages like this before and, and I kind of feel like I'm out there trying to put, I'm telling you now, 
I am trying to get you to a place, not of recruitment. This is about rescue. And I want to beg God to put a desperation in your heart. Would you just pray this after me? Dear Jesus, give me a desperation for people that you love who don't know that yet. Help me by your spirit. Be the transport. Help me get them to you. Amen. Now with every eye open and every head raised and everyone looking around in a judgmental manner. If you know there's someone in your journey, come on, you're desperate to see come into an everyday relationship with Jesus. If that's you, can you just put your hands up high in the sky? That's you. Let's keep them high, keep them lifted. It's good, come on, it's, it's good for your deltoids. If you didn't put deodorant on, it's bad for the person to your right. But that little bit of suffering is gonna, you know, that desperation, you know what I'm saying? Like, would you allow me to knit faith with you and believe that God is going to use you and your life and your relationship to simply point that individual to Jesus? Can we just knit faith together? Amen. Right now, Jesus, you see our hearts. And we're not trying to build an empire. We're not trying to post the number. No, we are just responding in desperation to ones that we love and are loved by you. So right now we knit faith and you tell us where two or three agree on anything, something supernatural happens. So supernaturally work here in Jesus' name, amen. In a few moments time, We're gonna start worshiping God. We're gonna sing God of revival. It's just what he does. He brings dead things back to life. He finds the lost. He brings loved ones home. But I'm gonna ask you, if you lifted your hand before and you're going, you know what, Dan, like I prayed with you, bro, but like I'm not full of faith for that individual. I've tried for so many years and I I feel like I've been hitting a brick wall with this individual, I wanna give you the opportunity. In all of our campuses, we're gonna have ministry teams. And if you feel like you need to step out of your seat and knit faith with someone personally, and maybe even bring that individual up by name and pray in the name of Jesus, come on, that this desperation will cause a difference. I wanna give you the opportunity, amen? Come on, to slip out of your seats and to pray with someone. We love you, New Spring Church. We hope and pray that you carry the life and the light of Jesus everywhere you walk. Father is proud, Jesus is cheering, and the Holy Spirit never leaves. God bless you. We'll see you next week.